The peace of the Lord be with you. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes so that we can see? Would you open our ears so that we can hear? Would you open our mind and our heart so that we could understand that we would turn to you and live? Amen. Um, A pastor who is an acquaintance of mine died a few few weeks ago, and he was a bit of a a renegade. He he was always at the fringes. He, He spent much of his life in ministry, going to places like the Burning Man Festival, he, um, he hung out, was a pastor, ended up being a pastor to lots of Wiccans and witches, so kind of a, a little different setting than this morning. <laughs> but he also was a bit troubled. He died in Wells, and his son didn't have enough money to get his dad's body home, so he started a GoFundMe campaign. And he wrote in this, this little epitaph, he wrote... Um, how growing up as a pastor's son, he started to get the sense that most every preacher was actually preaching the sermon that they most needed to hear. I, I think there's a fair bit of truth to that. And I'm really aware this morning that I am preaching a sermon that I really need to hear. There's a passage um, that's been stirring around in my heart um, for a couple months. And I'm just going out on a limb and thinking that if I need to hear this this morning, then maybe there's one or two of you that might join me in that need. It all started a couple months ago when I sat in the pew at another church. And the pastor was reading a text from 1 Peter chapter 3 and wanted to highlight one phrase in the middle of verse 15. And this was the phrase. You're, you might be familiar with it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. What answer would you give the preacher asked, why do you have hope? At that moment, the preacher had me. I sat up straight. I leaned forward. Hope. There's not many words that touch the deep ache of my heart more than that word. The preacher had my attention because hope can be a hard thing to hold on to these days. We've got political meltdowns, school shootings that are so regular they barely slow us down, an epidemic of distrust, massive anger at the church, ravaging of creation, collective despair, and troubles just seem to come wave after wave after wave, and they're troubles that we have known in one form or another from the beginning of human history. We just seem to make the same kinds of mistakes, the same injustices. We just get it 
over and over again. If there's anything that we do well as a species, it's screwing things up. Have you noticed any of this? But sometimes uh, it gets a lot more personal. A dire report from a doctor. Slow, slow death of a marriage. A shattered relationship. A child that seems to be wandering off and there's just nothing that we think we can do and we feel absolutely hopeless and helpless. A deep melancholy that we just cannot shake. So why? If you have hope today, what's your reason? If you are still clinging to a thin thread, why? Why do you have hope? Are you leaning forward, maybe? Does that word pull something out of you like it did for me? Well, the pastor started to give us a few answers. Talked about how we find hope in those uh, surprising places. A good verse of poetry. The profound moment of a sunrise where we see uh, beauty breaking in. Conversation with a friend. And these are all wonderful things. And they all echo hope to us. And I'm no expert on poetry, but I will say I've read enough to know I've never read a poem that could be the source of my hope that was that sturdy. Next, uh, the sermon went and talked about our acts of obedience to Jesus, showing up for the homeless, resisting injustice. And these things are essential. These things absolutely are part of our faith in Christ. But if my hope relies on how well I follow Jesus, I don't know about you, but I am sunk. I want to be really clear here. Um, the reason I'm telling you this story is it, not at all to lampoon a less than stellar sermon. I have delivered many of those. And today may prove to be a stinker all its own. So. That's not, that's not the point at all. I'm telling you that because what I want to tell you is on that day and on so many days, I was desperate to hear something that was profoundly good news that could break into all of the broken places of my own heart in the world in which I live. And I am just pretty certain that there's at least a handful here who share that with me. So my heart sank because I kept hoping that the preacher would say, we have hope because of Jesus Christ. I need the pastor to turn back just a few pages in Peter and read the words that we actually heard. I was sitting right there um, last Sunday. Pastor Mass read these words to us, and they're so good, and they're so profound, and they're so true, and they're so liberating that I'm going to read them to us again. This is what Peter says. In God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I needed that preacher to pronounce because I so desperately needed to hear it proclaimed that Jesus Christ has done something cataclysmic, remaking the world, dethroned evil, joined all of humanity to himself, and then carried us out of our ruin and fertility into a future that we could never have imagined for ourselves. I needed to hear that I could actually be free, that I actually had a life to live, that this world was being changed and transformed by the inbreaking power of Jesus Christ. I needed to hear that the cross and the resurrection have done a thing for me and for all of humanity that we are so desperate for God to do and that we cannot ever do on our own, which is rescue us from despair. For a couple months now, this question's gnawed at me. And here's the gospel that I needed to hear. We, you, have a living hope, a hope that will not die. Not because you can muster faith, not because you always find the silver lining sunny side up, not because you're able to bring together the proper Sunday school answer to every trouble that you face. You have a hope that will not die because in Jesus' resurrection, everything that is bound in the way of death has already been overcome by the story of God. Absolutely everything. In Jesus, we have a hope that lives in the very middle of the world of death. We have a hope that will never die because our life and our future are irrevocably bound up in the one who's already taken everything that death and evil and injustice can have gathered death into himself, and Jesus has ruined death from the inside. You have a living hope that will not die, and it is certain. Precisely because our hope doesn't come from us, because it comes from what God has already done. Peter says that our hope cannot spoil, perish, or fade. You know, that word certain... It's not a word that I actually use too much these days. It doesn't feel like there's very much that's certain in our world. But God, the story of the end of evil and death, that's certain. But what's the connection between Jesus' resurrection and our hope? I mean... If we've been around the church, we know these things are kind of linked together, and, but it's a little bit fuzzy. Does the resurrection only mean that Jesus has pulled off a massive feat to prove that he is God? Does the resurrection only mean that we have some kind of ethereal future in something we think of as heaven, but I'm not sure what that actually means? What is, how is it a living hope? The resurrection is not an example or a powerful story. It's not even only about a distant future. It is the prototype of what God intends to do for the entire world. 
What God did for one human, Jesus Christ, God intends to do for every human in all of creation. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, until I was in the sixth grade, I think I've shared this before, but my dad was a, a Texas Independent Baptist Traveling Evangelist, and all those words each have their own like, important piece in the puzzle. 45 to 46, 47 weeks a year, we would pull our fifth wheel travel trailer up to the next church, and my dad would preach a revival meeting. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, every week, over and over again. So it probably explains some of my weirdness. <laughs> but what, one thing that it meant, it was, a, it was a really quite cool way to grow up in lots of, lots of ways. Uh, one thing that was really cool was we often were invited over to some family's house for Sunday lunch or a dinner throughout the week. And they would bring out the best spread. So we're talking fried chicken. We're talking, you know, meatloaf. And do not knock meatloaf. If you don't like meatloaf, you haven't had it cooked properly. It's a culinary delight. Um, Mashed potatoes, green beans. But um, I've learned we don't do green beans like this around here. Like the green beans that you cook for three days soaked in, like, bacon juice. Those are green beans, right? But thank you. <laughs> That's the moment I get the amen on the green beans. Okay. I'll take it. But on those really beautiful moments when you knew this was really going to be a good meal was when um, they're clearing off the plates and someone from the family that's hosting says, hey, save your fork. <laughs> now, at just six or seven years old, I knew those words were magic. Because <laughs> what was coming next was um, apple pie, um, chocolate mocha cake, banana pudding. I learned in the uh, first service, we don't do banana pudding here either. That is... That's a travesty. <laughs> Somebody has to fix that. Um, I hadn't seen it yet, but it was absolutely coming. It was a promise. The resurrection is a promise for something that you do not really see yet, but it's there. God is acting. God has acted. The cataclysmic story has already begun. In the resurrection, it is an entirely new saga in the story of humanity. The end is here. It's happening. Resurrection is not just the assurance that Jesus lives, but the assurance that in Jesus, all of us will live. That the broken world and broken hearts and broken promises, they're not the end. They will be healed. Resurrection is the source of our living, active, sturdy, certain, sure hope. Not because it's the most powerful miracle, though it is, but because it's telling us God's intentions for the world, for you. And resurrection, it doesn't shield us from suffering. That's a, that's a real mistake that we make. This is not a Pollyannish hope. Resurrection carries us through the valley of the shadow of death and assures us at every step along the way 
the death and brokenness and ruin and destruction, all the things that scream so loud and seem to control the world, that they are a lie. Peter, in this one short book, mentions suffering 17 times. The followers of Jesus were outcasts. They were facing sorrows and persecutions precisely because they had chosen to take Jesus at his word that resurrection was real and to live as if it was true, that a new day was dawning in human creation. Following Jesus at some point or the other is inevitably going to get us in trouble. Suffering is part of the picture because the way of Jesus is always at some point going to conflict with the power structures of this world. It will always happen. So hope carries us into death. But resurrection tells us that death isn't the end. So where do the people of God go? Precisely where Jesus went. Right into the suffering. Right into the world's places of deepest pain. Right into the place where it seemed like everything was lost and ruined. That's where we go. That's where Pillar goes. Because we are a people with hope that will not die, because we are a resurrection people, we always move into the world's pain because we do not despair about that pain. But we believe that Jesus is bringing life in the very place where death threatens most. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.